Today's sermon comes to us from our series, Tattoo My Soul. It's week number seven, and this idea of tattooing our soul with God's Word comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 11. Write my words on your heart and in your soul. Do whatever it takes to remember what I'm telling you. Tie my words to your hands where you'll see them every day. And consequently, everyone else will see them too. Talk about my words. Write my words on the doorframe of your house. Write my words on your gates. Why? Why should we do all these things with the Word of God? He says, so that I can bless you and flourish your family. If you read these words, remember these words, put these words in action, God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to flourish your family. It's that easy. It's that simple. It's that profound that God promises. If you read this book, if you remember it, God will bless you. The end, period. Are you lacking some blessings in your life? Read this book. Remember it. Put it into action. Blessings will come greater than you can imagine. There are all kinds of ways to remember what this book says. Some of you just have those minds that I can't even get behind, I can't even fathom, where you can just read a piece of Scripture and you just remember it. My son has that gift. He can just read something and know it, but I sometimes have to write it out multiple times. Um, The best way for me um, as an artist for remembering a piece of Scripture that speaks to me is to do what we're doing with our art contest where I turn it into a piece of art. I take a photograph and I couple pictures with Scripture and that helps, but the best, best way that I know to remember Scripture, to write it on your heart, to let it become part of you, is that when you read something, or today, hear something that you're like, that's true, I want that, if you will then just go out and do it, put the word you heard into action, it becomes part of you forever, and I love that. So, today, we are talking, as we have each week, about this idea of tattooing our hearts and souls with truth around one of my own personal quiet times, my own time with the Lord. Every year, between December and January, I sit down with the Lord, and I'll ask Him for a verse. And I began doing this in 2008. And I'll just sit with the Lord and ask, you know what's coming down the pipe. You know what's going to happen to me this year. You know where I need to grow. Give me a scripture right now today that I can look at, that I can read, that I can pray into, that I can turn into art, that I can press into all year. Because he knows better than I do where I need to grow and what I'm going to experience. And every year without fail, he gives me the perfect verse for that year. This year, Job 19, I don't even know where I'd be without pressing into that verse every day. So I asked the Lord last Sunday in the afternoon after this sermon last week, what do you want me to teach on next Sunday, today? And he made it very clear, Acts chapter 3 through 5. Acts I received in 2014. And so I'm going to share my quiet time the day that I got that verse, and then we're going to talk about it and see how it applies to us. Background for you, so you can appreciate where I was that year. In 2011, I had to leave the student team that I was a part of, and I had to leave the student team the day after I felt like the Lord told me, I'm going to give you the student ministry. I'm going to make you the leader of the Woods Edge student ministry. And the next day, because of the financial crisis, the Great Recession, I had to leave the team because they didn't have enough money for all of us. Now, I was lucky. I was blessed that I didn't have to leave Woods Edge. I got a job on a different team that lost many people. But I had to leave the ministry I felt like the Lord said I was going to give to you. And I'm just like very confused. 
how can I lead it if I'm not even on it? And that began three years of waiting to receive what God promised. And those were hard years because the student ministry kind of floundered during that time, and I had to watch from afar and do and say nothing as I watched what I loved so, so much hurt. And I had to learn some things in that time as well, as we talked about last week. And so in 2013, in the third year of waiting, God d- delivered on his promise. He gave me the student ministry. And I knew he gave it to me because I had a dream about it. In May of 2013, I had a dream that my two bosses, because I had two at the time, approached me in my office and said, Justin, the student pastor is resigning. Would you like the job? Are you still on fire for student ministry? And I woke up from that dream, and I went to work right over here in this portable. And two hours into my day, my two bosses come into my office and say, Justin, the student pastor resigned last night. Would you like to take over the student ministry? And I just started crying. I had a dream before this even happened. And so that when they came in, I knew this was my moment. But they didn't know. They just saw this weeping fool. And they're like, is that a yes? Like, what's happening? And I was like, yes, he had a dream last night. Anyway, so I knew that God had given me the student ministry, true to his word, that I had been waiting for and praying for for three years. And it was an incredible year, 2013. Like, we had 50 students when I came on, and it grew to 150 in a matter of weeks. Just instant favor. And I started to get all these messages that I had been dreaming about giving and preaching for years. And it was just this beautiful year of God's favor, and things are going great, and things are growing. But there were some people There were some people that started to ask, well, wait, hold on. Who is this guy that we gave our student ministry? Who is this guy that's taken over Wood's Edge? Why is he making all these changes? Who is this Justin guy and what gives him the right? What are his qualifications? Where did he go to school? Does he even have a Master's of Divinity? Which is a very high-level degree that you get from seminary that many pastors strive toward, the Master's of Divinity. I didn't have any of that. But as these people are questioning me and talking about me behind my back, I start listening to what they're saying. Have you ever been doing something and you're just like, oh, I was made for this. I love this. And then like haters creep in and start talking negative and talking trash. And when you listen to those voices and those negative words, they they can get into your head. And then if you're not careful, they'll get into your heart. And even though I knew God had given me this ministry, I started to doubt myself and doubt that I was good enough because they were asking valid questions. Who is this guy? Where's his degrees? And so that's where I was in January of 2014, the first week of that new year, when I came to the Lord with this very grateful heart of being given the student ministry, but also this very doubting heart of like, do I even deserve this? So as I shared the quiet time that I had and the subsequent lessons that came through that year, I want you to listen to my story. It's part of your story too. But I also want you to pay attention to your own story in it. I want you to right now even think, like, where in your life are people hating on you, questioning you? Where are you doubting your relationship with the Lord, your future, whatever? And as you hear my story, listen for how God's speaking to your story. And if you hear something good, Write it down, make a note. 
January 6, 2014, right here in the Student Ministry Cafe, I sat down one morning, that morning, and I wrote out, Good morning, Father. Thank you for today. It's that time of year again, and I'm hoping for a word from you to guide me through 2014. You have been so good and so faithful to me. I love living my life in your will, your way. And this past year has been so rich in the fulfillment of your words over my life. The culmination of years of promises, exhortations, encouragements. Great is your faithfulness, O God. I have reminded myself many times this year not to seek great things for myself. Because that's what God asked me to do the year before. Don't seek great things for yourself. I have worked hard at not complaining, because that's my Achilles heel, and God spoke to me about that the year before. I have witnessed you tear things down that you built. I have seen you build things up that others had torn down. I have prayed for a greater heart for the lost, and I have witnessed once more your kind and sure providence in my life. Thank you for speaking to me and walking me through those things. I pray for more. I pray for more of you. I pray for more of you in my ministry, in my marriage, in my messages. But I know that there are many around me who seem to want me to fail, who question my qualifications, who challenge my value. Lord, what do you have to say to me this year? And I just opened my Bible by faith, and I landed right in the middle of Acts. And I would walk through Acts chapters 3 through 5 that year, but what initially gripped me was chapter 4. Chapter 4, 11 through 12, God's response to my prayer about feeling like people were attacking my ministry and questioning my value and it was hurting me. And I open to this story that begins, having been brought before their accusers, Peter and John defended their ministry by saying, Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Can you imagine a better verse, a better word for me in that moment than this one? I responded by writing, Jesus, you are the stone that the builders rejected. So am I. You are the cornerstone of our faith. And now you have made me a cornerstone of this ministry. And again, I just wrote out, I want more of you in my life in 2014. The next verse, Acts 4.13 says that the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Jesus' disciples Peter and John, for they could see that Peter and John were just ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And I just so resonated with that. And I wrote out, Jesus, I feel you calling me to be more confident. I receive it. I believe it. I know I need it. Let this be the season of my faith's perfection. 419, when demanded to stop 
speaking about Christ, Peter and John replied, Do you think that God wants us to obey you or him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. And I just wrote, Lord, you are my God. So tell me what to do this year, and I will do it. Acts chapter 4, 29 through 30. After being threatened with death by the Pharisees, the disciples prayed to God, O Lord, hear these people's threats and give us, your servants, greater boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. These men were threatened with death. They were told to shut up. And the first thing they do is go and pray, give us greater boldness. May we speak about you even more. And I wrote in response to that, Jesus, what good is my faith unless it is tested and put into action. So come, Lord, and give me the courage to act upon what you say. Help me read your word and obey your word. Use me to inspire obedience. Amen. So that was my quiet time in the beginning of 2014, and man, I pressed into those verses every day through that year. I want to give you some background of Acts chapter 4 so you can fully appreciate what was going on there. But Peter and John were Jesus' disciples, two of the twelve. And just so you know, I've researched this. It wasn't just some. All the disciples were 20 and under. In fact, some of them were possibly as young as 13 years old. The disciples, the people that Jesus handpicked to say, these are the ones that are going to launch my ministry. These are the ones that are going to set my church on fire and change the world. They were your age. He picked teenagers. And so Peter and John, as teenagers, had performed this miracle earlier in the chapter in the name of Jesus. They'd healed a man by praying in faith. And then they told people about it. They did something for God. God moved on their behalf, and they talked about it. That's all they did. And the religious leaders of the day didn't like that. They didn't like that Peter and John were uneducated. They didn't like that Peter and John were uncontrollable. They didn't like that Peter and John were just kids. Can you imagine Peter and John standing before this council of these men, these powerful influencers and deciders that had all the authority to not just send them to prison but to kill them? I imagine it looked something like this. This room full of all these important people looking very self-aware and self-empowered. And just imagine Peter and John, maybe even better yet, imagine yourself standing in front of them. And they're all looking down on you. And they're all judging you. And they start threatening you just because you believe in Jesus and did something awesome on his behalf. They even threaten you with death if you speak about him after leaving the room. If you talk about Jesus again after leaving this room, we'll grab you and we will kill you and we'll have the law on our side. You aren't allowed to perform miracles in Jesus' name to talk about Jesus because we don't think that you're good enough. And Peter and John, how did they respond? How would you respond? How would I respond in a moment like that? 
these two idiots, these kids. The word untrained in the scripture translates to idiots. These men thought the disciples of Jesus who God picked were idiots and just kids. They stood up to that mob of angry men and they said, sorry, but God's words are more important to us than your words. What God says is more important to us than what you say. What a wonderful, confident, faith-filled answer. Where did these two kids, these uneducated fishermen, find the confidence to say that to those men that day? Well, the answer is right there in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, for they could see that they were just ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. It's the most important statement of everything I read before. They recognized these two untrained kids as men who had spent time with Jesus. The only thing that Peter and John had going for them in that moment is that they were known as people who sat with Jesus, who listened to Jesus, and who obeyed Jesus. And as a result of that simplicity, they sat with their Savior, they listened to Him, and they did what He said. They had this amazing confidence in Jesus and themselves, a faith that could move mountains, could stand up to the powers of the day. These ordinary kids had the power of God behind them to do extraordinary things. And it begs the question of us today, how do we receive a confidence like that? Do you have the confidence that we just read about today? Because if you don't, it's available. It's available today. How do we use our faith to literally move mountains, to change the minds of governments? How do we, untrained kids, accomplish extraordinary things in this day and age? Well, it's said right there, all we need to do is what Peter and John did, become known as people who spend time with Jesus. That's the only qualification that matters in the eyes of God. I love education. I say go get an education. Go get a college degree. Go get a doctorate. But the most important thing is that you become known as someone who sits with Jesus. And the best ways of spending time with Jesus, there's so many. Who likes to spend time outside? Just when you're outdoors, something just lights you up. That's Jesus. He made you. He made it. He made you to enjoy being in it. When I go outside and see all of nature, the sky, the stars, bugs, I'm just fascinated. I'm like, there's so much of who God is in all of these lessons. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, said he got all of his wisdom from God and studying nature. If you just love being outside, that's because God wired you that way, and he wants you to experience him and realities of him in nature. He wants you to get to know who you are and who he is by spending time with Jesus in nature. Some of you just have such a prayer life. You just love to sit with the Lord and pray. That is a great way to spend time with Jesus and to get to know yourself 
in him. Some of you, when you sing that last song, I love singing those lines. Man, if you made a billion stars to worship you, so will I. When you sing those lines and you feel deep in your soul, something more than just singing is happening right now. That is a beautiful, powerful way to spend time with Jesus. Coming to church. I know many of you come here to see your friends. I come here to see my friends too. But the main reason we're here is to spend time with Jesus and to hear something from him and to own it and to go do something with it. Small groups are a great way to spend time with Jesus and his people. They're all kinds of great ways. It doesn't have to be a method to spend time with Jesus. But the best way that I know how to spend time with Jesus is to read this book. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all Scripture is inspired by God. That just said, every word, every chapter of this book is inspired by God. He used men and women to be part of it, to write it, but it's inspired by God. And it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. This book corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses this book to prepare and equip his people to go and do every good work. This is no ordinary book. It is inspired by God, and he actively uses it to correct us, to teach us and to prepare us to go and be all that he made us to be. This book and no other has the power to do that. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, the word of God is alive and powerful. Get your mind around that for a second. God just said of this book, in this book, this book is alive and powerful. Sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. The Word, the Bible, this book, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, all of our doubts and defenses. That's literally how God used this living and active book with me back at January 6, 2014. It exposed my fear and my doubt, and it showed me a way forward. This is no ordinary book. It's alive. It's active. It helps us to know ourselves and to know God. Pastor Justin, I, I don't really know who God is. Read this book. Pastor Justin, I don't really know why I'm here or what my purpose is. Read this book. It's alive. It's active. It's got personal things to say to you. Today, John chapter 1, my wife's favorite chapter in the Bible in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Listen to this. So the Word became human. The Word became human and made His home among us. And He was 
full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is no ordinary book. Spending time in this book is not about investing in more information. There's a lot of good information in here, but that is not what it's about. Spending time in this book is about investing in a relationship with Jesus. You want to get to know who Jesus is, get to know who he made you to be, you spend time in his word that's living and active and representative of all that he is. He will speak directly, personally to you. Spending time in this book is not about spending time in study. It's about spending time with Jesus. Oh, God, that we could change the way that we think about reading this book. That when we sit down and start to read it, we would just say, I'm sitting with Jesus right now, and he's going to talk directly to my soul. But we need to remember the heart of today's message, what God has to say to you today through the word, is not just about spending time with Jesus. It's about being known for spending time with Jesus. I'll share a story, a story that God himself gave me this week to get your attention. I had a doctor's appointment on Monday. I've never met this doctor before. I'm sitting with him, and he's asking me questions. Do you have any history of illness in your family? What medication do you take? How many children do you have? And then he asked, what's your profession? That has nothing to do with my health. But he asked, what do you do? And I let him know. I made it known. I'm a pastor. I, I, I teach about Jesus. I, I stand for God. That's my job. And he said, oh, well, you must have a master's in divinity. And I said, no, I actually never graduated from college. I got that question that I always get when people hear I'm a pastor. Oh, you must be super educated. You must have this thing that you can only have if you're a pastor. And if you don't have, you can't be a pastor. No, I actually never graduated from college. I was hired on reputation. And this man, without missing a beat, said, oh, well, you must love Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were just ordinary men with no special training, but that they were known as men who had spent time with Jesus. You must love that verse, he said. And I'm just looking at him like, what are the odds that you would quote the exact scripture I'm teaching on Sunday to me in this conversation? What are the odds? How many books are there in the Bible? Anybody? 66. In this book, there are 66 books. The odds that he would quote the, act of, the actual book is 1 in 66. That's pretty high. How many chapters in the Bible? Anybody know? I had to look it up. Somebody say nine. It's not nine. It's at least nine. It's 1,189. That's how many chapters are in the Bible. That he would quote the actual book and chapter is 1 and 1,189. That's crazy odds. How many verses are in the Bible? Anybody know? 31,102. That's how many verses are in this book that he quoted the book, the chapter, and the verse 
he had one and 31,102 odds of doing that. I was stunned. I just sat there with my mouth open like, have you been like spying on me? You're like really invested in me as a patient. So crazy odds, and I just said, man, well, that's crazy that you would say that. I'm teaching on that, that actual verse on Sunday, like I got it tattooed on my arm. Um, I'm talking about how God blesses us when we spend time with Jesus, when we spend time in the Word. And without missing a beat, this doctor who I'd never met says to me, oh, well, you must love Deuteronomy chapter 11, where it says, write my words on your heart and in your soul. Do whatever it takes to remember them. Write my words everywhere so that you and your family will be blessed and flourished. And I just, like, freaking me out, man. You just quoted the scripture I'm teaching on Sunday and the sermon series verse for our whole semester. How in the world? What are the odds of that? I'm not smart enough. I just chewed on that, and I knew there was something in that. And I'm like, what is it? Is it like one in 64,000? Like, is it just the number plus the number, or is it more than that? The odds that this man would quote both of those scriptures to me is one in 967,303,302. Astronomical. Like, God-sized statistic. And so I have to ask the question, Lord, why would you give me a one in a billion conversation this week? And I knew immediately that he wanted to give it to us as just an attention getter, that what we're talking about today is real, that when we're known, as I made myself known as Christ followers, that extraordinary things happen around us and through us. And it's not just true for me, it's true for every single one of us. Romans chapter 10, 9 through 10, we're talking about not just knowing Jesus, but being known as a lover of Jesus. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You have any questions about how to be saved? You were just told. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's how you get saved. And then it explains it. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. When we let others know that we love Jesus, we get saved. That's miraculous. That's wonderful. If you have ever, if today is your day where you are sitting in your chair and you are breathing a prayer, I believe in what this guy is saying I know this to be real. I don't even understand it all, but I believe it. If you pray in your heart right now, and I pray you are praying this in your heart, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Jesus, I acknowledge you as Lord. Boom, salvation. But there's a second step. You need to openly declare it to somebody. I don't want you to ever come into the student ministry or any church service if today's not your day and pray in your heart that Jesus is real and not tell someone, because it's two steps. It's faith and action. Deuteronomy chapter 11, our theme verse for the year. Write my words on your heart and in your soul. Wear them, teach them, talk about them. If you do, blessings, flourishment for you and your family. That just promised us when we let others know that we obey Jesus, 
blessings. Are you lacking some blessings? Do you desire some blessings? God says, write my words on your heart. Do your best to walk them out. I will bless you. Extraordinary things will happen around you. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Let me tell you why you are here. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is for all of us. Let me tell you why you exist. You're here to be light. That's your purpose in this life. That's why you were born. You're here to be light, to bring out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, I'm not going to hide you under a bucket. I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you up there, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll encourage people to open up with God. God just promised that when we let others know, I shine, I serve, I do good deeds because of Jesus. God just promised that he will use us to bring other people into relationship with Jesus. There is no greater thing that you will do with your life or your time than to let other people know there's a Savior. He loves you. He saved me. He'll save you. That is our highest calling in this life. But perhaps one of the most beautiful ways to know Jesus and to make him known, we see in Acts chapter 22, verse 14 through 16. Would you just listen to this as though God is talking to you today through his living and active word? The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see his son. You are to be his witness telling everybody you know what you have seen and heard. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Have your sins washed away as you call on the name of Jesus. When we let others know that we belong to Jesus, he promises us. He washes away our sin, our shame, our guilt, and our fear. Do you have any of those in your life? Proclaim Jesus as your Savior, and he says, I will wash them away, and I will give you a new identity and a new purpose. We walk through this life wondering, who am I? Why am I here? And God just said, man, if you've acknowledged my son as your Savior, go get baptized, and I'll tell you who you are and why you're here, and I'll wash away all your guilt and shame while I'm at it. No other religion, no, no other relationship can offer that. There are so many benefits of being known as a follower, as a lover of Jesus Christ. But as your pastor, and I, I didn't want to share this in my flesh because I'm like, I don't want to end on a down note. But as your pastor, I have to share the consequence of failing to be known. If you have put your faith in Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, but you're not walking it out, you're not letting people know, you're being timid with your faith. You're keeping the blessings to yourself. God has 
a very stern warning to us, a warning that comes as though a parent is trying to protect his child from hurting themselves, not a rebuke, a warning. Matthew 10, 32 through 33, Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. I will be up in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and I will say, look, there's my son. He's doing an awesome deed just because he loves me. God, that's, that's our guy. He will say, look, there's Stephanie. She's praying for her friend. Look, there's Tot writing a note for that woman who lost someone. Those are our people, God. Look, there's our people. He will acknowledge you publicly in front of everyone. But everyone who denies me here on earth, who keeps me to themselves, who does not share that they belong to me, that they love me, everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. It is not just about believing in our hearts, you guys. It's got to be backed up by some action. There's got to be some continual investment in the relationship. And the plus side is blessings, confidence, miracles, extraordinary things happening around you. But the downside is what I just read. God is longing for each and every one of you to, he wants to give you confidence today. Who's like brimming with confidence and doesn't need any more? Not me. He wants to give you confidence today. He wants to bless you today. He wants to wash you clean today. He wants to give you the identity and the purpose that you've been asking about since you were old enough to, to ask questions. You need to remember the prayer that I prayed in the beginning. Maybe make it your own today, but Jesus, what good is my faith unless it is tested, unless it is put into action? Come, Lord, and give me the courage to act upon what you say. Help me read this book. Read your personal words to me and obey them. Put them into action. I'm going to walk us through a couple ways of response today, and the band is going to take the stage and lead us in worship. I have a very simple question to ask of us and a couple different possible responses that you might hear from the Lord. If you are a writer down of things, now would be a great time to grab your prayer tag. I'm going to ask this question, but as I do, it is so that you can ask it of the Lord. You can write it down, or you can just ask in your heart but here's how we're going to respond to what God has been speaking to us this morning. How can I put my faith in action this week might be the question that God would have you ask today. How, Jesus, would you have me put my faith in action this week? A similar question maybe you need to ask, Jesus, how would you have me make you known this week? How would you have me make you known to someone, to others this week? I'm going to walk us through just a couple possibilities of what God might be telling you to do today. Not because he's bossy, but because he wants blessings and greater things for you. But my list is short. He might be calling you to do something not on the list. 
And that's totally cool. Like, great. Write down whatever you hear from him. But would you just right now, if you have never been baptized, if your parents had you do it when you were like six and you didn't really have a say, if you have never chosen to step into that water and declare publicly, I belong to Jesus and I don't care who knows it, would you just ask the Lord, just between you and him, Lord, would you have me publicly declare my faith by getting baptized this week? By getting baptized today. That's just between you and him. But whatever your answer, I would love to talk to you about it today or just meet you out there. I don't care if you didn't bring a change of clothes. Question two. Ask the Lord, is there someone specific in my life right now that I could encourage with love, with a good deed this week? Ask Jesus, who do I know this week that I can encourage with some love, that I can encourage by doing a good deed for this week? Just ask him. If you're seeing a face, if you're thinking of someone, if, you, if a name is just popping up, just write that down and go and just bless them this week. You all have the power to do that. None of us will regret that. Ask the Lord. And maybe it's the same person as the last question, but is there someone in my life that you would have me make you known to? Is there someone in my life that needs to just hear, there's a God in heaven who loves you. There's a God in heaven that's forgiven all your sins, that will save you from death. Is there someone in your life that you can just talk to about Jesus? You don't need to know the right words, but just some words. Who do you know that God would have you share Jesus with, share this message with? Last question, just between you and Jesus, just ask him, Lord, would you have me spend time with you this week by reading your word? Would you desire that I sit down with you this week and read your word and ask you questions and just hang out? If you're having any trouble hearing the answer, students, I can tell you with all confidence, the answer is yes. He would love to sit with you. He would love to help you unburden yourself, to speak truth to you, to love you, to comfort you, to heal you, to hear the questions you don't even know how to ask. He would love that. You would love that. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to respond to what we've heard today. And if you're interested in getting baptized today, come see me at the front at the end. But we have communion available. We have our tithe and offering boxes available for your offerings or your prayers. And we get to sing to Jesus in faith. We get to put our action to music. What a great way to respond to what we've heard today. Bow your heads with me. Jesus, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of this sermon. I pray that you would not let us get away from it, that you would not let us here and just walk on like we didn't. There are so many more good words in this living and active book. There are so many more personal and profound things that you want to say to each of us today, this week, throughout our lives. Would you please change the way that we think about this holy, supernatural, living book? And would you please encourage each and every one of us to make time to sit with you 10 minutes, 30 minutes every day this week. Change us.
do extraordinary things around us as we step into obedience and step into a closer relationship with you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Respond as you feel led, students.